Welcome to Pursuing Quality Long-Term Care, an educational podcast for individuals needing long-term care and their families. In this episode, we speak directly to two long-term care residents in Texas and Ohio about the importance of the recently released Biden administration nursing home reforms, the problems that they face in their day-to-day lives from the inadequate and untrained staff, and what other improvements they would like to see that would help improve their lives in long-term care. Hi, everyone. On February 28, 2022, the Biden administration announced that it would be implementing new nursing home reforms. These reforms include the most significant improvements to nursing homes in decades. They include the creation of a minimum staffing standard in nursing homes, accountability for poor performing nursing homes, increased transparency around ownership and finances, and support for direct care staff. These reforms are critical and desperately needed to address the inadequate conditions that many residents face in their day-to-day lives. Today, we want to talk with nursing home residents directly about what some of these reforms might mean to them, as well as what their experiences have been through the pandemic and over the past few years. So first, I'm going to ask Cindy if you could introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Cindy and I live in uh, the Dallas area in Texas, and I've lived in a nursing home for over four years. Thanks so much. And Marguerite? Hi, my name is Marguerite. Um, I live in Southeast Ohio, and I have been in a nursing home for five years. Thanks so much, and thank you both so much for taking the time to talk with us today. One of the biggest reforms from the Biden plan is a minimum staffing standard. We know that so many facilities have historically been understaffed, both before and throughout the pandemic. Um, And so I think it makes sense to spend a bit of time talking about staffing. And I just wanted to ask you both, what does it mean to you when there isn't enough staff in a facility? And and I want to preface that by saying that we're meeting here today on Zoom. So I know that both of you are arguably a bit better off than many nursing home residents who don't have that kind of access. Um, But in general, in a nursing home, when there isn't enough staff for you personally or for other people within your facility, what does that mean? What does that look like in your day-to-day life when there isn't enough staff in the facility? Uh, Well, for me, go ahead. Go ahead, ahead, Marguerite. Okay. Um, I think for me, not enough staff usually means long wait times um right i i'm in a power chair and can't walk so for me it is um it will i will always need two people to move me into my chair or into my bed and so that is the main thing that where i personally notice it that makes sense and cindy Um, I, uh, as far as staffing goes, staffing in all areas of a nursing home affects the other areas. Uh, If we don't have enough people in our housekeeping or laundry area, um, then we don't get the linens necessary for our CNAs to do their showers. So um, there'll be some days when they can't do a shower because there's no towels to give you a shower. Um, Staffing in all areas affects a different department. If there's not enough people uh, making our food, that affects when we get our food 
and therefore it affects when people can go back to bed, when they can get cleaned up. I mean, just staffing, um, mostly we feel it with the nursing staff, but it also just affects all areas of a nursing home. Thanks. That's a, that is a really good point. And I think you're right. Often when we're talking about staffing, we think about CNAs and we aren't really thinking beyond what that means when other areas of the facility aren't staffed and how that impacts even what the CNAs can do. Right. It, it really um, does. So an, another question somewhat related, um, and, and this is more, I think, about the CNA experience and Marguerite, to your point about needing help physically moving from one place to another, there's there's a lot we hear about turnover with staff. We know turnover in nursing home staff is just, I mean, in, in many facilities, it's 100% in a year. I mean, staff comes and goes. And we also know that there's been a big increase in agency staff coming into a facility, um, which means that sometimes, you know, and I guess I don't need to be telling you guys this, but often there can be staff who, who doesn't know you. Like there could be a new staff yeah. member who comes in and mm-hmm. I guess uh, my next question is wh- what is that what does that mean you know when there's a staff member who comes in who who doesn't know you who doesn't know what you need or you know know really your history I don't know if that's something you experience regularly or just what what happens when that's the situation uh well for me um it just um takes a lot longer for someone to be able to help you when they don't know you. Um, you have to explain a lot to them. Uh, hopefully they'll listen to you and uh, do it the way that you're used to doing it. Um, fortunately, I can ask them and let them know how I like things done. But again, we have residents that aren't able to do that. Um, as far as training, um, someone how to take care of you. A lot of times with the short staff, they're just thrown in there and say, you're going to take care of these people. They know nothing about the people. And I mean, for people that can't speak, I don't understand how they're really able to take care of them well enough. Um, I think that's a huge uh, problem that, um, you know, they're not Uh, educated as to what each resident and even if the nursing staff knows like our nurse knows what an individual's needs or whatever are they do not share them with the CNA I think the CNAs go in there blind and they don't have any information about what their diagnosis is what um, their needs are and so it's really frustrating for some of our residents that they may have a certain issue. Like for example, we have maybe a a resident who is suffering from uh, dementia and they don't know how to put their clothes on. They don't even know how to feed themselves. And then the CNA will just set a tray down in front of them and not really know what their needs are. Um, They don't know to take their lids off. They don't know, you know, that they might need some help being fed. And it's, it's, uh, I'm sure it's frustrating for that resident, but it's frustrating for 
to other residents to see that this person is struggling and no one is addressing it. So that's, that's yeah, it really, I, I'm so glad you brought that up. I want to come back to, to the training issue that you mentioned. Um, and also just say that we know that throughout the pandemic, this was happening a lot. And, and part of that was just the nature of the understaffing that a CNA would go into a bedroom and just put down the tray and then they'd leave because they'd have to go deliver a tray to someone else. And sometimes those residents right. could not feed themselves. But um, before we move on to training, because I think that's a really important topic, um, Marguerite, do you have anything to share just about staff turnover or agency staff? Yeah, I do. Um, during the pandemic, some of the state requirements for people who were entering the profession were waived. So these were people who had done a 10 day online class, had not seen any residents and were thrown off to the end. And maybe, maybe they got a day of orientation uh, together with another aide and then they were on their own. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's shocking. Yeah, during COVID, they're allowing unlicensed CNAs to come into the facilities and work. And uh, a lot of them are so new that they, they don't really know what they're doing, especially when it comes to using equipment. Again, that goes back to training, the Hoyer lifts, the sit to stand lifts, um, you know, they're not familiar with those. And uh, I know in the state of Texas, there's supposed to be two people uh, doing a Hoyer and doing the sit to stand lift, but we're lucky if we get one person um, to help. So we, we never have two people uh, doing those uh, machines. So what that about was you, for us as well, we need two people. Um, and um, oftentimes we only have one aide on the floor and yes. um, sharing a nurse with a different unit. So um, it can make for. Uh, we have a freeze on there. Yeah, Marguerite, you just froze for a minute. Yeah, she's still. Yeah, and my understanding. To operate, to operate a Hoyer lift and um, with only one staff member on the floor, it can mean that you have to wait for a long time for that to happen. Yeah, absolutely. So mm -hmm. actually what, what you both mentioned is, is what my next question was going to be. We know that when the pandemic started, there was a waiver of training requ requirements um, and facilities allowed um, temporary nurse aides who had not fulfilled the required training requirements to enter facilities. We also know that now two years later, that has not stopped. That waiver has not been lifted. Um, and so uh, you've already spoken quite a bit to this, but, you know, if, if you could sort of describe what you think, you know, and I know this is a very broad question, but what you think is just integral for a staff member. I mean, again, and when you think about the, the very start of the pandemic, if there isn't enough staff and there really isn't anyone, the goal was to get people into facilities, but, but what, what do staff need to know? I mean, to start, you know, what, what sort of requirements do you think are necessary that staff be trained on before they even enter the facility um, in order to provide the care that people need? 
Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> I know it's very broad. I'm sorry. <laughs> How long is this going to be? I don't think I could have enough time to go over everything. I mean, but, you don't need uh, safety, to go over everything, but you know, safety, safety is first mm-hmm. and foremost, in my opinion, uh, making sure that they're safe and that they know to how to handle a resident. Um, you know, we still have people that um, will, um, you know, pick up someone's foot by squeezing it and causing bruising instead of lifting it from the bottom of the foot. I mean, just just things, little things like that that they need to be trained on, how to turn someone, how to, um, just uh, bathe and shower and all of the things when, when a resident can get hurt doing this is what mm-hmm. they need to be trained to do well, in my opinion. I, I agree. Mean, anytime you're touching a, a resident or bathing them or showering or whatever, you need to think about safety at all times and, and do it in the safest possible way. And, uh, yeah, and, and- the newbies don't know how to do that. Right. What about you, Marguerite? I, I think you're right. Um, safety is very important and being aware of the needs of the specific resident you're dealing with. Um, it's not one size fits all um, right. in, in the approach. So, right. and, and with understaffing, that kind of awareness might, might not always be around where people have limited time to help you. And um, and like you said earlier, Cindy, I, I can voice my own um, wishes and, mm-hmm. and make clear what I like and what I don't like. But there are right. many people who do not have that, that um, capability. And, right. and they should get the same, same care that I yes. managed to get for myself. Yes, yes, that's true. Right. And that, that brings me, I guess, to, to another question, um, on, on a more personal level for, for you personally, what are your interactions like with the staff you work with? And, and then how do you think residents in your facility are treated by staff? Um, um, I think that, um, my interactions with the people, um, who work with me um, is quite okay, but it's, it really um, entails building up trust. So if you have right. different people all the time and you have to explain time and again what it is that you like, it gets very tiring. And um, so the people who generally work, I work with me on the, on the floor where I'm at, um, we get along well because we interact and they right. want they want me to be happy and i i think that they they manage that quite well so yeah like the staff that you work with day to day you build up a relationship with them uh, you learn to trust them they know what your capabilities are but when you are understaffed again and you have new people coming in and you try to tell them how you like something or don't like something I feel like like I've had some new people say, um, oh no, we're gonna do it my way. We're not gonna do it your way. Mm. 
or I mean, they've been very, you know, uh, this is not, you know, the way that we're going to do it. And I make it very clear to them that, uh, no, we're going to do it my way. And I've had to call like a, uh, a nurse in to let them know that I've been doing this for four years now and I know the way that it's done and that I need to be listened to. And all residents should, you know, have a voice and let you know how to take care of them. And if they can't, then, you know, you do your best. But um, for us that can speak, they should listen to us and, and, and do it the way that we want it done. Have you had much interaction with the um, administrators in your facility? Oh, yes, I have. <laughs> and so how is that? Well, um, we have a, a, a big turnover in administrators as well. Mm-hmm. So um, I've tried working with him and I've tried working with our director of nursing as well. And um I really haven't gotten anywhere. So I've um, just decided that um, I need to file complaints with the state to try to get some action done. And so I've, I've done that. Um, when uh, I tried to find out when we were gonna open up our dining room, when we were gonna open up our group activities, when we were gonna be allowed to meet for resident council. We have not met for resident council since December. Oh, wow. And our activities director has just been going around interviewing people. And when she came to me to ask me, I said, "Um, this is not a resident council meeting, so I'm not going to participate in this. Um, Good for you. So, uh, and I didn't get anywhere. I didn't get any answers. Um, So I, I really just wanted to call the state to find out what, what their time frame is. Uh, you know, we look at the CDC rules, um, but we don't get really clear answers on when we could open. Um, and so they did come and visit and find out. And just a few days after they were here is when they started opening up the dining room. Um, but I find that, um, you know, they're, I'm sure they're overworked too. We have a new, a new social worker that just started Um, because that's a a big turnover area as well. And um, it's just, um, you know, it's frustrating. So I, and I don't want that responsibility of being frustrated. So I just decided there is an organization, it's called the State Surveyors. And if I have an issue, I'm just going to let them know to come and take care of it. Because I don't need that responsibility. So you go outside the facility then? I do. That, yes. Yeah, yes. that that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I've Margaret. tried. I've tried okay. working with them, and you know, and I don't get answers. So I've I've had to to do that. That's exactly what we tell people to do. So it's great that that you have the ability and the the knowledge to be able to actually take those steps. Yes. Yes. Grateful for that. We um, I have meetings with um our administrator, not really regularly, but every now and then just to know what is going on. And during all through the, um, the lockdown, um, that happened more often. We have a, a newer 
um, administrator now. Um, and um, yeah, I try and keep keep an, um, a conversation going just so I know what is going on and also to let them know um, what the, the residence council um, has decided or is talking about. And um, so, yeah, we try, I try and talk. That is, that is the, the main thing. Do they listen to your issues from resident council? Yeah, they do. And sometimes they don't. Um, some okay. things are very easily um, fixed, but other things you, I have the feeling that the, the, the real issue is not addressed, but kind of fudged around the edges. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, well, I, I, I talk about that. And um, they often like to say that, that there, it is, yeah, understaffing, which is part of the truth. But sometimes yeah. it's also a choice to have fewer people in the building than necessary. So Do it's, you have it's, a lot of turnover in your management positions as well? Um, in five years, I've seen four administrators. Okay. Yeah. What about social workers? We, we had um, the administrator and the social worker and some other people all leave at the same time to work in a newly opened facility. Oh, okay. So they all left at the same time. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. That must have been difficult. Yeah, that was challenging. Yeah. Have yeah. you experienced ownership changes in your facilities? No, my facility is owned by a corporation and they mm -hmm. own a lot of different nursing homes throughout Texas and I believe Louisiana and Oklahoma. Okay. Uh, so they're, yeah. they're part of a large group. I think okay. our owner owns 52 nursing homes in Ohio and wow. Indiana and somewhere else, I don't know, around here. Yeah, oh, that's wow. a lot. That is Lots a of lot. big corporations. Yes. Yeah. So, so to take things back to the to the Biden administration's announcement about these reforms, um, I was wondering if you could both answer what this would really mean to you on a day to day basis in your facility. Um, you know, if if there was a minimum staffing standard in nursing mm -hmm. homes, um, and also you know it includes support for direct care staff. What it would mean to staff. Um, if these get implemented? Maybe I could um, talk to a situation I recently experienced. Um, I was on a three-day steroid course, and um, on day three, I was told that there was no IV-qualified um, nurse in the building, and that they, they were going to administer that the next day. And I mean, it's three days for a reason, right? So mm -hmm. I told them that I thought that that was not, not the way it should go, that they should find someone to come and administer my, my final dose. And yes. since I insisted, they did. Um, and found an RN to come in and administer the final dose and remove the IV. Um, that doesn't happen. I mean, that shouldn't happen. It is- no, um, of course. This is a, a skilled facility, and they should have skilled staff on on hand or in the building, and not not mm -hmm. somewhere else. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. So yeah, yeah. 
So yeah, so having having the required stuff would make a big difference, especially for yes. people who, unlike you, cannot really push and advocate for themselves in a situation like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cindy, do you have anything to to add to that or? Um, what was the question? That's okay. Um, just just what would what would these provisions, um, the Biden, what will these provisions, um, the, from the Biden administration, mean for you and impact your life in a nursing home? Well, uh, some days we wake up and we don't know if there's going to be someone to get us out of bed. I mean, my daughter and I like to get up every day, and today. Um, you know, we had a person, I turned my call light on at uh, 10 o'clock to get up. And uh, I, I got up at, I was up by 11. Um, but there's some days, like my daughter today is, today's her shower day. And our shower days are uh, three days a week, but we usually only shower every other shower day. So she stayed in bed today, hoping that she gets a shower. So it's uh, at two o'clock is our shift change. So she, we're sitting here thinking, will she get a shower or will she not get a shower? It depends on who comes mm-hmm. in to work. It depends again on if there's linens to give her a shower. Uh, it depends if they can find a shower chair to put her in. Uh, if they have a Hoyer a bath, a shower sling to get her into, to take her into the shower. So there's a lot of factors to think about on, on your shower day. Are you going to get a shower? Cause you've got all these different things that you have to be concerned about whether or not you're going to get one. So again, we're waiting until two o'clock to find out who comes into work and if we're going to have enough people to give her a shower. So this is something that we deal with on a daily basis, whether or not we're going to have enough people to take care of us, enough people to get us out of bed, enough people to um, bring us our lunch or take us to the dining room or take us to therapy or just anything, anything. Uh, It's always a daily uh, wonder if there's going to be enough people to, to do the job. And those are things that people who aren't in facilities, just everything we take for granted being able to do. Right. When you have someone that all your needs, you depend on somebody to take care of you and you don't know if they're going to be here to do it. So, and then if we do get up in the morning, will we have enough people to be able to put us back to bed? Um, Will we get to bed at a decent time? Um, So, you know, I'm in a wheelchair. We're both in a wheelchair all day long. If we get up at 10, then we need to get in bed by eight o'clock or we're in pain because sitting in the same spot all day Mm -hmm. long is painful. And so if we don't have people that come in for the afternoon shift and the night shift, then we may not get to bed and be out of pain. So those are daily concerns that we have. Thank you both so much for, for sharing that. Marguerite, were you going to add to that? Yeah, I was going to say that I found the, the distinction between um, having staff that will give a certain amount of time per resident for, for um, services rather than 
counting the number of residents and then saying, oh, that means so many, so many staff will be needed. Um, it's, it's a different way of looking at staffing, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and it would be helpful because four hours a day is quite a lot compared to what, what is happening right now. And mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so the, the last question I was going to ask you both, and again, thank you both so much for your time today. And I think this has just been, you know, so, so helpful and impactful for people who are going to be listening. Um, but you know, the, again, the, the Biden administration, the Biden administration's new plan includes minimum staffing standards and accountability and, um, increased transparency for ownership and finances and support for direct care. It also pushes for, individual rooms for residents. Um, but is there anything else that from your perspective, you think the government should be doing and should be looking at right now to improve the lives of nursing home residents? Um, you know, something that isn't really on that list. Hmm, you should have given us a what's up on that before the meeting. <gasps> I am, um, I'm sorry. Let me see. Um, I think a lot of people in nursing homes uh, need more social interaction. Um, during the pandemic, again, people stayed in their rooms. They didn't get to go out into the community, uh, anything like mm. that. But there should be um, ways for uh, our staff to be able to take us. Like we don't have a bus here. I mean, it's something that I've asked for. You know, I mean, we have a bus that takes us to our doctor's appointments, but we've, we never get to go out and like go for a ride mm -hmm. in a van, um, you know, get dropped off at the local Walmart. This facility doesn't do that at all. And uh, that's something that I'd like them to add. That's a great answer. And, yeah, and you're um, right. I I should have given you that question beforehand. I apologize. And there is, there is we thought of it today. <laughs> Pardon? Oh, we, we thought that question up today. I just wrote it down okay, a couple good. minutes before. All yeah. right. Um, Marguerite, what do you think? I, I was thinking that um, there should be more to residents' lives than the direct care. And you brought up activities um, that are, you know, elsewhere as well, like we do have a bus um, and they are thinking about starting doing that again. That's about how far we've gotten so far. So it's, it's not reality at the moment. Um, is, your, is your bus wheelchair accessible for how many? Yes. How many can, chairs? I think it can. I think three people. It is um, three wheelchairs and that's three it. So it's not, it's not okay. a lot. And, Again, yeah. and that we don't have enough staff to be able to go with us. Right, that's right. True. So that's true, we have yeah. to have staff to go with us on an outing. And so, um, yeah. Well, thank you both so much. I really appreciate you both being here today and answering our questions.
Pursuing Quality Long-Term Care is a program of the Avoiding Drugs as Chemical Restraints Consumer Education Campaign, a partnership of the National Consumer Voice for Quality Long-Term Care and AARP Foundation. Make sure to visit our website, theconsumervoice.org slash pursuingquality, where you can share your story with us, subscribe to the podcast, and find more information about the campaign. If you enjoy the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next episode. Thank you.